I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 9. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. May God bless the reading of his word. In 1930, there was a bishop who erected a very expensive uh, cross, a crucifix, if you will. It was made of bronze. He erected it in a cemetery in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thirty years later, that particular cross was valued at over $10,000. And then thieves came and cut the cross down and began to cut it up because they had a plan of selling it for scrap metal. But all they could come up with was $450 from a $10,000 cross. I think too often in our society today, we're cheapening the cross. Not one made of bronze, it's made of wood. But the most expensive, the most elaborate gift ever known to mankind was nailed to that cross. In fact, just this past Friday, we celebrated another year, if you will, of of that time. We call it Good Friday. It's the day that Jesus Christ is hung to the cross, and not until his final words, it is finished, was he taken down and put in a tomb. And there he stayed until the next sunrise resurrection morning. When he did what man could not do, he paid the total price for all the sins of mankind. And the reason he did it is because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was the purpose. But the theme of the resurrection from the beginning of the book of Acts, the introduction of what we know as a church age, throughout the rest of history, the theme has been the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
When Peter stood in Acts chapter 2, when he stood with the other disciples and he proclaimed to all the hundreds, if not thousands of people that were there, he proclaimed the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he asked this one question, what are you going to do about it? He didn't cheapen the cross. He didn't cut it up and try to sell it for some minor pieces of gold. He highlighted it. And then he accentuated it with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's by the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the church today, that's, it's our, that's our foundation. For if Christ has not risen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, then our faith and our preaching, and I'll put it in a street vernacular for you because that's about where we can understand. Our preaching and our faith is stupid. It's vain. Has no meaning. But the Apostle Peter knew differently because he saw something that none of you got to see yet. He saw Jesus Christ risen again. And from that experience, as Jesus prepared for him a breakfast at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered the exact same way, Lord, you know that I love you. And it was at that moment, it was at that time, That just a few days before that, Peter, who was accosted by a little girl, now became the spokesman of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at all of Peter's writings, all that he had to speak of, he began by illustrating, by highlighting, if you will, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thus we come to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Notice he begins with a form of praise. A doxology, if you will. To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be his name. That word blessed means high praise. And Peter reiterates the fact that Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. I want to share with you for just a few moments the promises of the resurrection as highlighted in this particular passage. The resurrection is more than just a historical event. It's a life-changing reality. When Jesus Christ, on that one and that very first morning, as he rose from the tomb, everything began to change. And notice the first benefit, a living hope. The first promise of the resurrection is that God has given us a living hope. 
This word hope is an interesting word in the original language of Greek, for it literally means, if you will, a steadfast, provable fact, unchangeable. By anything that else happens in our society, it is a living hope. And we express many times a hope. Like, well, I really hope we have no rain this morning because we want to have our sunrise service outside. Or, I I really hope that the New York Giants do a whole lot better this coming year than they did last year. Those fade as time goes on. But I'm here to tell you this morning, this living hope never fades. For it is rooted and grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what makes it alive. In Romans chapter 6, as the Apostle Paul is sharing there with the church at Rome, he says, our identification is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Any other religious leader, as great as and as smart as they may have been, you go to their graves, you're going to find their bones there. And yet you go to the tomb of Jesus, and it was only inhabited for three days. And Jesus came forth, and it's empty. No proof at all, and all of history, no proof has been able to discount the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's been theories, but no proof. We have the proof. And the proof rests in the fact of what Jesus Christ said, both Both in Matthew chapter 26, he said to his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, the place I'm going to die. I'm going to give myself over to the hands of evil men. That's how I'm going to die. But have no fear. Three days, I'm going to rise again. And if Jesus did not rise from the tomb, as we said earlier, then the preaching of Peter is a farce. The faith that we hold to is stupid. But all of that has been changed on one instance. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. Dear people, let me let let you in on just a little bit of information that maybe brighten your day. We got a better hope coming. And his name is Jesus. We got a better place we're going. It's named heaven. And we I got a better outlook for even tomorrow. Because Jesus may even come back tomorrow. That's my living hope. That's your living hope in Jesus Christ. For it is by him and through him and unto him. That the apostle Peter is saying. Blessed be the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has given us this wonderful inheritance. A living hope. A hope that doesn't fade away. It's a hope that we can take it to the bank 
and cash it in because I'm here to tell you this morning the dividends are well worth waiting for. It's a hope in Jesus Christ. That's the first promise. He's given us a hope. A hope that the world is groping for. A hope that there's this longing inside for some kind of truth, some kind of foundation upon which we can grab hold of and have some kind of meaning of life. That's in Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter preaches for us. That we have this living hope. The second promise, if you will, as you look over from this, is that we have an inheritance. Verse 4, an inheritance. If you do an in-depth study of the book of 1 Peter, you'll first come to find out who is it that he's writing this letter to. He's writing it to a group of individuals who would understand that word inheritance better than what you and I can understand it. He's writing it to the Jewish people, God's chosen people. They know what an inheritance is. They remember when God promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. God promised them an inheritance of land. They understood as Moses dealt out that land. That certain groups of people were supposed to go to certain groups, to certain areas of that land. They were to occupy it. It was fulfilled during the time of Joshua. They were to occupy it. They were to build for themselves cities, homes. They were to take occupancy, if you will, of that area to have a life. And it was all coming from the blessing of God. That he promised to them an inheritance. But unfortunately, because of their sin, because of their wandering away from God and from the promises of God, they lost the land. But you know from the historical perspective that in 1968, the land was restored to Israel. It was given back. Oh, they're not all back home yet. But they understand the inheritance that there is. But we have a different kind of inheritance in Jesus Christ. Notice how it is described. It's first an inheritance that is incorruptible. It's not about land, dear people. It's about a home. It's not about a piece of ground. It's about a place of heaven. It's not about riches of this earth. It's about the riches of glory. It's incorruptible. So that even in the midst of what seems to be the darkest time of your life, we can focus on our living hope knowing full well that our inheritance is incorruptible. One writer wrote it this way as he shared with it what it meant to be incorruptible. It means no death. Death can't reach it. It's a kind of inheritance 
that doesn't rot during time. We have physical bodies that are wasting away day after day after day. I have two tungsten steel hips. I prove to you I'm wasting away. I'm not looking to be the next $6 million man, but I'm well on my way. Amen. We're wearing out. But I'm here to tell you our inheritance that God has given us in Jesus Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ will never wear out. Nothing of earth can infiltrate heaven to destroy and to make it corruptible because it's incorruptible. Not only is it incorruptible, but the apostle Peter tells us it's not even going to be, it can't be undefiled. It can't be mixed with stuff. It's pure. It's the best. Nothing like it on earth. The most glorious sunshine or the most amazing sunset is still hampered by sin. We can only see it through eyes that have been affected by the sin nature. But I'm here to tell you, dear people, that there's going to be a day that I can't imagine what heaven's going to look like through eyes where sin is not available. Undefiled. Undescribable beautiful. I, I kind of wonder if maybe the first million years in glory, we're just going to try to wrap our brain around the fact that how beautiful this thing is. It's undefiled. Nothing of this earth can hamper it in any way. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. And lastly, it doesn't fade away. It's not like your 401k that fluctuates as the stock market fluctuates. It's not like that trophy that you get when you're in high school, that your wrestling team won the Class D Section 3 championships of New York State. I don't even know where that trophy is anymore, Mike. It faded away. But I'm here to tell you something. I haven't faded away, amen? You got steel hips too, buddy. You're falling apart too. And, and two knees, man. You, you're way past me. Lord have mercy. I told Sunrise Service this morning, can you believe it? I wrestled 98 pounds when my freshman year high school. I haven't seen the other side of 98 and I don't know how long. But our inheritance don't fade away. Because it's not bought by man's means. It's not purchased by man's money. It's not stored by man's deeds. It's a gift of God. And what God gifts, it don't fade away. In fact, I would dare say that it grows. 
The blessings of God are unbelievable. But in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have this inheritance. It's incorruptible, undefied, and does not fade away. That's our hope of yet to see. A hope of glory. But the apostle Peter goes on and shares a little bit about the hope that sustains us even while we're here on earth. Because he talks about trials. Anybody going through a trial right now? Is that all just three or four of us? It's a kind of hope that even though you're tried with fire, You'll come out like fine gold. It's that kind of hope that sustains when nothing else seems to be able to sustain you. It's that rock is at the bottom. When you've reached the bottom and you're standing on the last rock, that's the hope that lies within you. That's the hope that God gives to us. To the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It may get bad. As bright as the day is tomorrow. Rain can come in your life. And bring a storm that you're thinking. Why am I going through this? But God has a purpose for it. And the purpose is to define and redefine. And refine your faith in him and him alone. Because your faith is more precious to him than finest gold. Gold in heaven is nothing more than what we're going to walk on. But our faith is our highest esteem as we honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says, your hope, your living hope will get you through. God will make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. When you've come to the end of your rope, I'm here to tell you that God's got the end of it. And he's holding you up. It's like four hikers who were climbing a mountain. They had two guides and two rookies. They had a guy at the bottom, a guide at the bottom, and a guide at the top. And the two rookies were in the middle. And as they were climbing this mountain, this ice-faced mountain, the guy at the top slipped. And when he slipped, he fell. And the law of physics takes over. For when he fell, the second guy, the rookie, fell. And when the guy at the top and the rookie, the first one and the rookie at the second one, they all fell. And all of a sudden they found themselves dangling over a precipice that they couldn't even see the bottom. But there was a guide at the bottom who got stuck, who purposely grounded himself in the depths of the ice That even as those other three individuals were hanging on the end of his rope, he had the end. And he wasn't letting go. When it comes to our living hope, dear people, 
We may slip on the fountain or on the mountain of life. But I'm here to tell you, we have an experienced guide who's got the end of the rope. And he's promised that he'll never let us go. And even in the darkest of storms of life, Jesus Christ will stand firm. And you can trust in him, even when there doesn't seem to be an answer for the problem. That's what Peter's saying to the people here. Tough times are going to come. As Peter wrote this book, there was an individual that was rising in power of Rome. His name was Nero. And Nero was about to unleash his wrath against the Jewish people, against Christians of that time. He began to burn them at the stake. He began to make toys of them to lions and tigers in the Colosseum. He began to use them as live torches that surrounded his garden. And Peter said, even in the midst of that, you have a living hope. Because what can the world do to you that God hasn't already protected you and provided for you in glory? It's called incorruptible, undefiled, and will not fade away. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, if you have never placed your trust in him and him alone for your only hope of eternal life, I beg of you to do that today. For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby you can be saved. It's Christ in Christ alone. It's the greatest gift. If you were the only one on earth, Jesus would have still come to die for you because God so loved the world. Do you know him? Have you trusted in him and him alone for your living hope, eternal life? If you've never half trusted Christ, I'm going to ask you to do something. At the end of the service, if you have any questions, I'm going to hang out here up at the front. I'm going to stay here until the last one of you is gone. I'm going to stay right here. And if you have any questions about eternal life and how is it that you can have this glorious relationship with Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, then I ask, I beg of you, come see me. I'll not embarrass you. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I will take the word of God and show you what Jesus has to say about having eternal life. I offer that to you. And if you would, by simple faith, trust in Christ and Christ alone, then you will have an indestructible, undefiled, never fade away gift 
from God. An inheritance saved for you in glory. Let's pray together. God, to you and to you alone, we honor your name. We ask, O Father, I ask, I plead with you, O Lord God, that by your Spirit, if there's someone here this morning who has never come to that place where they have come face to face with you, if they don't understand, if they don't even know what it says in the word of God, how they may know you have eternal life, Lord, I pray that they would not leave today. I pray that by your spirit you will woo them unto yourself. That they would seek your truth and receive from you the greatest gift of all an inheritance that they will never regret. Pray, O oh God, that you would do the work that I cannot do. And I praise you in your name. Amen.